This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. 55,000 education workers in Ontario are poised to strike on Monday if they do not reach a contract deal by then. The strike could shut down classes for many of the 2 million students in our school system, and it also has the potential of affecting the course of the federal election. This strike date just happens to coincide with the big English language debate. And the word is that conservatives are worried because of what they've been hearing at the door in the 905. And while Doug Ford has stayed out of the campaign, the prime minister keeps taking him on, including hinting at the possibility of labor strife in the education sector. The reality is uh, I am a parent with kids in the Ontario public system, and I really wished uh, that Doug Ford would spend as much time focusing on my kids' school as he does uh, focusing on supporting his federal party. Okay. Uh, That got a lot of play when it happened a few days ago. In the meantime, Education Minister Stephen Lecce says he is available 24-7 for talks. As a matter of fact, that is why I had to tape a conversation with him a few minutes ago rather than speaking to him live here as planned. Minister Lecce, thanks so much for being with us. Great to join you, Libby. Thank you. You've said that you were surprised when this dispute escalated to a strike date. Why is that? Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is, uh, Libby, you know, on Sunday, we were so close to reaching a deal. I I must admit, I I was, I really thought there's a real prospect that we'd be able to move forward with a deal. And the last minute, uh, the union uh, keep made a determination to walk away. They're right. Uh, they announced that they'll be invoking sort of a partial withdrawal of service on Monday. So come Monday, that happens. Not a fundamental change in the classroom, but nonetheless, they made that announcement. And then two days later, 48 hours later, they announced that they're going into a full strike position. I, I find that to be bizarre, uh, to be quite frank with you, given that we made such progress. I also find it unique to wait two days. I mean, last time they went through this, this very union waited about five or five or six weeks, if I'm not mistaken, until they scaled up, until they sort of ramped up. So I don't know what changed or what's at play here. I mean, I've heard a lot of people surmise it could be related to the federal election. I don't know. I'm not sure if I even buy it. Although Monday, the day that that comes into effect, the strike as they wanted to, is the first day of the English leaders debate. So, you know, look, whatever the motive is, all I care about at this point is getting back to the table. It's why on Sunday, Libby, I didn't blink, nor did I make this about me or some emotional exercise, I just reminded myself that, you know, we got to create incentives to get them back to the table. So Sunday when they walked, the first thing I did was through my negotiators on my direction, extend additional days to the mediator to get them back. And thankfully, the union has come back to the table last night, and I look forward to meeting with them and our teams tomorrow. Okay, well, you you took my question. If there is a strike on Monday, it coincides with the leaders' debate. Yes. So what do you make of that timing? I just think, look, I mean, I I don't want to, you know, uh, opine officially on motive. I, I like to believe 
that all of us are doing this to put kids first. I think it is it is curious. I think that's not unusual. And I think there's a lot of people asking the question because it is it just seems too odd to ramp up at this rate without a compelling reason. Uh, and I'm not sure the population really understands it either. All I can say to you is that, you know, for me, uh, and I said this on, uh, yesterday to a, a reporter, you know, that the prime minister, he'd come out and commented on the province and took a swing at the premier. And it's like, look, folks, I say this as a public servant. The world does not need more politicians involved in labor negotiations. You know, we need to depoliticize the environment and be much more res- results oriented, solution oriented. My message to the prime minister, my message to Mr. Coteau, a provincial liberal MPP who tried to insert himself is this is not about you, gentlemen. It's about two million kids who need to know that the process that is governing these negotiations is apolitical and focused on them, not on politicians who are trying to advance their own self-interest ahead of kids. Okay, but but uh, Doug Ford has been an issue in this campaign. The Prime Minister mentions him more often than he mentions Andrew Scheer, and he took that swipe, uh, which our listeners just listened to again, uh, against... Uh, uh, against Doug Ford and and what's happening in uh, education strife. So, um, you know, it it obviously is a factor. And and how will that play into the negotiations? Well, I don't think they particularly help Libby. I mean, to be quite frank, I mean, look, in in this country, you know, I respect there'll be a plurality of opinion on issues. But, you know, I think political leaders need to recognize that, you know, depoliticizing a negotiation about children is certainly the only way to get a settlement. I think when we inject, when, when parties or, or interests inject themselves into a process where this is between the, you know, the union, between the trustees, the employer, and the government, uh, the crown, I think when they inject themselves into it, it actually could create more impediments to progress. So my message is just to allow those three entities to work in good faith to get a deal. I want kids in the classroom on Monday. I want there to be no disruption to the service or the quality of their experience. And I'm calling on everyone to do the right thing and put students first and get back to the table tomorrow and let's land a deal. Does this strengthen the union's hand and does it make it maybe easier for them to get more concessions and does it motivate you to just get it done if you have to give a little more than you wanted to? Well, I'm very motivated to get a deal, uh, but I mean, I think the fact is pressurized environment that they've helped create uh, or, you know, deadline bargaining. I wouldn't suggest that's unique. I mean, they said this is an invoked approach, time tested. It's what probably unifies conservatives, new Democrats and liberals. And we've all been through a similar experience. What I'd say to families is I know at home it may seem that there's no prospects to an outcome. I know at home folks may say with all the noise and all the finger pointing, how do we get a deal for my son or my daughter? What I can tell you is this similar situation has panned out many times before under all parties, and yet they got deals. I feel, and I'm not listening, but there's no reason why I'm expending capital with you today only to lose it next week. I mean, at the end of the day, it takes two to tangle. From my end, I do believe we are going to be a, continue to be a reasonable, constructive force at the table where we can get a deal this weekend in the coming days. I actually believe it is possible. It requires that spirit to be matched by my colleagues opposite in the union. But I actually believe, Libby, before we go oh, any hypothetical, we can get a deal. It just requires the unions to match that reasonableness. I mean, on so many issues, I think we provided that latitude that is positive. And I think that's a very uh, important step uh, forward when it comes to putting kids first. Because as you say, or as you've intimated, I think many folks just want a deal done, period. But conservative, federal conservative candidates are saying that Ford comes up 
at the door. So uh, this is obviously a strategy. I, I actually, to be quite frank, I've not heard that from candidates, certainly not recently. I think for me, the calculus has nothing to do with them with great respect to friends who I know who are running. It has to do with kids. I mean, this is my point earlier. I mean, that my calculation is to avoid strike because it impacts kids, not being impacts any political party, provincially or federally. It impacts families. And I think the motive that's driving me to get a deal is really singularly not about the electoral cycle that was, you know, statutory, it's preset election date. It's about getting a deal so that we provide predictability because Libby, every three years, we go through the cyclical process of families having to go through a, an era of instability in, the, in, in education. And I want to provide that calm. I want to provide that stability. And I want parents to know that the government is on their side trying to make sure that there is that uh, framework in place where their kids can remain in class with confidence so that we can return back the business of governing, focusing on updating our math and investing in STEM and trying to give uh, you know more mental health supports, really focus on things that I know parents in their heart of hearts want government to champion. Now, I'm still doing that, notwithstanding we're negotiating, but you know I'd love to be able to really focus 100% of my time on, on students through this process. Uh, finally, uh, just to get into what appears to be the biggest sticking point, absenteeism and the compensation for uh, sick leave. Uh, can you just give us a really quick kind of briefing on that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, we are pretty close, I think, fundamentally speaking. Having said that, uh, I would say this. Um, you know, the one issue, I wouldn't say the issue. I mean, I think people are, are you know, perhaps misinterpreting it. It's not... The, the, the defining issue that's impeding progress. But an issue at the table is on sick leave. And, you know, with respect on absenteeism, Libby, we're talking about folks I mean, who work hard. There's no doubt about that for, for QP members. But 120 days are paid at 90%. 11 days are paid at 100%. Now, Libby, you work hard. Many of your listeners, seniors, worked hard. I'm sure they couldn't conceive having those types of, um, you know, uh, entitlements in place. And my point simply is we're not even looking at changing the number of days, ironically. We're just looking at the percentage uh, for some of those days, particularly the, the, the 120, uh, the, 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 the extended days. And so my point is we're trying to put that on the table and say, look, we've been reasonable on job security. We moved on that. We, I think we found a very a positive place that the union seems to be pleased with. Like We've been able to move forward on so many issues, but you've got to be reasonable on all ends. And when we're expending $35 million, when you look at the sector-wide costs, of absenteeism per day, if you take one full day at 100%, 35, over 35 million bucks. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. The entire, all boards in the province are spending on leave, on finding replacement workers, then on, let's say, for example, better investments in kids, in textbooks, in technology, in enhancements in the learning experience. Why is that the focus? Why is back office administration or sick days a better way to utilize critical funds and your tax dollars, folks, instead of investing in your children. And I'm saying, and I'm suggesting, we should stand with kids in this process to try to relocate some of those dollars in their futures. I've not been dogmatic. I've been very reasonable. My negotiators have clear instruction for me, get a deal. But obviously that issue remains at the table. I think with some sobriety of mine, we can land in a reasonable place for all parties. But at the end of the day, I would also, you know, we focus on sometimes the obstacles. Let's also note that we've been able to remediate or solve most of the issues before us, which is something worth, you know, I wouldn't say celebrating at this point, but it's worth noting as a way of incremental progress. I think we've actually gone pretty far. My hope is in the coming days we can get we can get to the finish line. It, I really do. I think parents need to know that my singular mission now and every day henceforth is just to keep their kids in class. 
Okay, Minister Lecce, thanks so much and good luck with the negotiations. Thank you. Appreciate that. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, let me give the numbers out in case people have comments on that, questions about that, theories about that, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And, and now I would like to welcome Michael Diamond, who is a founding principal of Upstream Strategy Group and a conservative strategy, strategist, excuse me, and in studio, Kim Wright of Kim right strategies. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Kim, uh, we were listening to this and you kept shaking your head. So please go first. I think my chiropractor and I are going to be friends again. Uh, Look, Minister Lecce is very good at hitting us talking points and trying to make this sound like it's all about the kids. And frankly, it is about the kids from the the CUPE members' perspectives. They are seeing increased class sizes. Uh, The educational workers who are there to support oftentimes kids with special needs uh, and and those who have uh, some learning disabilities abilities and difficulties. Uh, They are integral to uh, our education system. They have never been funded properly uh, within the school system. We're talking about people who make on average about $38,000 a year. That's not an awful lot of money that we're talking about for people who do what is extraordinary difficult work and extraordinarily important work. If we want to have a really good education system, we want to have a really good society, making sure those classrooms are uh, properly funded, properly staffed, properly uh, proper learning experiences. This is critical. Uh, Minister Lecce talked about how, well, he wants to make sure all those dollars go back in the classroom. That's what these people do. Uh, they are making sure that uh, that learning environment is correct. You know what? Yes, there is always going to be labor strifes, no matter the politics. Uh, but certainly the Ford government has, from day one, from their first set of cuts, uh, have impact schools uh, and will continue to do such. What was also interesting during the work to rule portion of this uh, QP campaign is what you saw was uh, that these uh, these workers weren't cleaning hallways, weren't cleaning gymnasiums because they were never part of their contract to begin with. What kind of ridiculous contract was that to start with that was always uh, set up to fail? Uh, so I think there is a lot to get to the table at. It isn't just sick leave. It's a whole range of issues. But most importantly, it's about those class sizes and what those learning experiences are for kids. Okay, let's bring Michael in. And uh, Michael, um, what about the timing? And and it certainly seems to be, you know, uh, part of the election campaign. And the union certainly isn't denying it. And, and uh, for the first time, the minister is actually acknowledging it as well. What impact will that have? Well, look, uh, what what impact will this have on people's votes uh, in a couple weeks? I think it will probably, frankly, be negligible. But the fact is that it is being viewed as an opportunity by 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 the union and uh, their activists to try and gain favor and uh, using children in an election and an election as uh, a bargaining chest is really, frankly, quite deplorable. 
isn't that what the minister's doing by walking away from uh, actual meaningful negotiations? And let's be clear, his, his comments about how close they were on Sunday before the work to rule action happened. Every Everyone I've talked to on this issue, they were nowhere close to a deal. There was lots of uh, stall tactics from the from the provincial government. Uh, QP had given their their uh, their negotiations early in the day and hadn't heard back until late later in the uh, late afternoon, early evening from the government. If they're really serious about getting a deal, they can get a deal done. There's negotiations that are set uh, set for, I think, tomorrow. For tomorrow. tomorrow. For, t- and for tomorrow. tomorrow. And there's been a preemptive announcement of uh, uh, Monday. So, so it's I not think a preemptive announcement, being, Michael. There is they have to give five days here, but, it's the same time, politics, but it's the same politics that's being played when Doug Ford invests more money into health and more money into education. And you have people saying that it's cut. So it is definitely a uh, tough situation for this government to be in. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I remember in 1997 being in grade six in Manitoba, being incredibly jealous of the kids in Ontario who uh, were out of school because of a uh, work work stoppage uh, uh, in education. Teachers in Manitoba, people who work in the education system in Manitoba don't have the right to strike. And maybe that's where we need to look at because children can never be uh, put in this position. Uh, first of all, QBO had to, as part of their part of their responsibilities, had to give five days notice. Uh, that's why we're why everyone knows that Monday is a strike potential strike day. Uh, so that let's that, that wasn't playing politics with that. It's just it is what the dates well, the whole are. Thing's politics. Yeah, but, but, sec- but second of all, you know, what, when we start talking about taking away rights to strikes and rights to collective agreements, one those always end up in higher costs, uh, as we've seen every time that something has been made an essential service. But let's get back to what this is really about, because, Michael, you talked about how they've, you know, they haven't made cuts right from the very beginning when they cut uh, out the uh, on the environmental green policy work. One hundred and sixty million dollars, which was supposed to go into the uh, education sector to fix our schools, uh, was taken right off the table, right off the get go. That has had an impact on schools that has had an impact on children and has a direct impact on learning outcomes. Well, it was outrageous that uh, cap and trade was being used to fund education. The province has a responsibility there, not consumers. So it was, it was, it was frankly a Ponzi scheme. They, they, um, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm want to call a little bit of a truce here for the moment, and let's take a couple of calls. We've got Diane in Toronto. Hi, Diane. Diane, you're on the air. Okay, I don't know what's up with Diane. Let's take Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. You know, when I start hearing uh, things like green and and whatever, like the, your, your female guest was just talking about, like, let's take the politics out of this. I don't care about green or any of that nonsense. I work in a union environment, and 20 years ago, we went out, uh, out on strike, and we were out for 20 weeks, and we went back. You know what? We've never striked w- w- since then. Uh, these people have to learn. They're living in the best environment they could. They work for a government, which is never going to go under. They're unionized workers. You know, they've, they've, they, they've won they, the These lottery. are people who don't make a lot of money. They make $37,000 a year. So let's yeah, keep so that. It's, it's, I mean, that's the thing. So if you want to make more money, go back to school and become a brain surgeon. Everybody in the private sector has been taking a haircut for years now. Why are these guys so special? Because they can hold the government and parents to ransom. It's not about the kids. Spare me that nonsense. Okay, Bill. 
We know where you stand. Thanks for your call. Um, the minister said that he thought that they, the union escalated to the strike date much quicker than they have in past negotiations. And that probably had something to do, or let's say certainly had something to do with the timing. Kim, do you buy that? I think that when the union looked at whether they thought that there was a reasonable outcome that could be found uh, with maintaining the work to rule, they really didn't think that that was uh, that was a, a sustainable option. So they hit the button on the on the strike. What it did do was get the minister back to the table and the ministry back to the table. Hopefully, they will have some meaningful dialogue this weekend. Uh, because if they don't, uh, it continues to be uh, problematic for our kids. Michael, do you think uh, do you think that this was quicker than in previous disputes? And do you think that the union stands to get a better deal because of the election? Well, I think that there was certainly uh, it, it was it was the timing uh, certainly was done because it will coincide with the opening of advanced polls and uh, with the lead up to election day and people really making their final decisions. So uh, you can't separate the uh, political reality of the federal election from uh, the decision to uh, move forward with the notice. Actually, the schools will stay open even if you have uh, polling station. Elections Canada was very clear about that. So if your polling station, just for all the listeners out there, if your polling station is a school, uh, those schools will be open for you to cast your ballots. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. That's uh, some very useful information. Let's hear from... Brave the picketers, though. Just brave the picketers. Well, I don't think they're going to picket voting. They're not going to try to prevent people from voting. I would. Okay, we'll see. Uh, Don in Toronto, you're on the air. Hi, Don. How are you? Fine. You answered one question I was going to ask you, how much they roughly make. You said about 37000 Yep. Okay, can you tell me, people who work hard every day who can get paid $37,000 for working less than seven months a year? Well, it's not less than seven months. Why don't you use a calculator? You know, I was at Rama the other day, and at Tim Hortons, the computer went down on their machine. The kids that are working there, like they're twenty twenty one, they couldn't add up on a cal- on just on a regular calculator how much a coffee costs with tax. So okay. when I went to school back in the sixties, we had more students. We don't. We never had what the technology they have today, and yet the teachers. How many sick days do they get a year? Do you know that? Well, th- these aren't teachers, uh, Don, and uh, yes, the, yes, w- we do know that. So they get 11 paid sick days, and they get 120 days of, I think it's usually called short-term disability, where you need a doctor to vouch for you, and that's at 90%. That's what the minister says is the issue. Thanks, Don, for your call. And uh Kim Wright, you say that is not the issue. No, the issue boils down to the fact that we have been, and we've actually seen this this uh, this uh, semester uh, when the kids have gone back to school. Now they've started reallocating those classes and making them even larger classes to accommodate. And we've seen as much as this government says we need to invest in science, technology, math, uh, all the STEM uh, work, 
work, except for some of those schools are now having to cancel physics classes or having to cancel some of these STEM classes because the classroom uh, ratios just aren't aren't manageable to to offer those classes. That is going to have a, a massive impact ongoing to those kids. And all of this contributes to the broader problems in the ecosystem of the school. Uh, the, the caller earlier uh, was poo-pooing, if you will, uh, some of the funding that was going to uh, from the cap and trade to greening the schools. That isn't greening the schools. It's some of these schools are frankly are in a abhorrent state of good repair. They don't have air conditioning. They barely have windows that work. Well, in that, some was cases. Big, um, oh. that was a whole big that was a whole big to do with air conditioning in the schools because it could be hot and and in they're September, and they're crumbling in some cases they're they're vent- old they're some all, of them are pretty old they're 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 they were built around the same time as some of the wartime houses were back in the day they were designed to accommodate uh, uh, baby boomers and they haven't been keeping up with that state of good repair. So they were going to take that money and put that into the state of good repair. What I've seen is educational workers, spec ed teachers, uh, you know, those who are actually dealing with some of our more vulnerable students who sometimes have uh, challenges around uh, uh, how some of their behavioral challenges. These uh, educational workers do need some of that short-term disability and we, and, and we think you know, it, those are things that should be maintained if we really want to get at some of the mental health and physical health uh, situations. Uh, Michael Diamond, um, we've heard reports about conservative candidates getting uh, a lot of this at the door, especially in the 905. What's your take on that? Look, I've gone door knocking a couple times and I haven't experienced it personally. I've certainly read media reports of it happening, but in talking to candidates and campaign teams, uh, it you know certainly comes up. Uh, at the door from time to time. I, I'd be curious to know uh, what liberal candidates are hearing about their former government. Though. So I think, you know, there will always be uh, <clears throat> comments and uh, folks confusing the different levels of government when people are canvassing. But yeah, I think it seems uh, overblown. And with recent uh, publicly released polls in Ontario showing the Conservatives moving ahead, I think it's uh, less of a factor than uh, the narrative that the Liberals uh, wish it uh, wish it would become. I, I think, Michael, you might you you're certainly right on. We always hear these things at the door. Um, you know, gosh, I still get to yell that for everything Bob Ray did, and that was <laughs> he's a liberal now. That was thirty years you ago. Even born then. It was thirty years ago, and uh, by the way, he went on to becoming a liberal, and uh, not my problem. But somehow the liberals seem to want to make it back to being all the new Democrats have ever uh, done wrong is all due to Bob Ray, but not the liberals who took him afterwards. And anyways, so we all get blame for these things. We all get blame for the boogeyman's. We all have to live and die by that sword, I guess. Um, but I do think the prime minister has needed a straw man, needed a boogeyman to uh, to focus on. So he certainly has focused on Doug Ford and some of the cuts that they have made in these early days. Uh, it, it certainly will come up at the doorstep, but I don't think it is uh, quite as, as bad as uh, Justin Trudeau would like you to believe. Yeah, okay. and it's well, first of all, so-called cuts because increased investments are not necessarily cuts. Uh, but I think, you know, Kim raises a good point. And for Kathleen Wynne in 2014, she didn't want to run against Tim Hudak. She decided to run against Stephen Harper. And that worked very, very well for her. Uh, but the same strategy won't work across elections. So I think the prime minister's uh, uh, wishing he were running against Doug Ford. I'm not sure why he would, because the last liberal leader who ran against Doug Ford uh, destroyed her party. Uh, but um, yeah, just because it worked for Kathleen Wynne doesn't mean it will work for Justin Trudeau. He'd rather run on that than his own lack of 
record. Okay, I'm going to take a very quick call from Jen in Guelph. Hi, Jen. Hi, hi, Libby. Um, I just wondered, it's not, is, is it the teachers who are going on strike? No, it's, uh, it's the education workers. Well, it's, why can't they be deemed as essential services? Yeah, we've, we've, we've been through that. Um, that usually ends up costing more, uh, but a lot of people think that's what it should well, be. Well, it should be because they are essential and they well, should they not are. be allowed to strike. <laughs> okay, thanks, Okay, Jen. thanks, Libby. Okay, uh, we've got to wrap things up. Michael, uh, wh- what do you think happens here? Um, is there a real peril for the Conservatives if this goes to a strike? Look, I, again, I don't think this will impact uh, many, as many votes if, if it is to go in a poor direction. Hopefully that will be avoided as uh, the prime minister uh, would certainly hope it does. But uh, let's just hope that it doesn't get to that. Kim? Look, I hope that the minister and the ministry gets back to the table and actually has some meaningful movement on this because that's the only way we get everyone back to the classrooms and that you know, really, and while it's difficult, they really do need to tackle the underlying problem of the funding formula, which has been flawed from the get-go. Okay. Thank you so much, Kim Wright and Michael Diamond. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.